This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm senior editor Mike Morin. Donald Trump was arraigned on 37 counts earlier this week. He's accused of keeping highly classified documents from after he left the White House in 2021 and then thwarting efforts from federal investigators who were trying to get those documents back. I want to talk about classification, about how this scandal compares with those from other high-level elected officials like Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, and Mike Pence. And I wanted to talk about whether overclassification is a problem. So I asked former Congressman Peter Meyer from Michigan, a Republican, to talk with me. He's got an interesting background. He is a former United States Army intelligence official and officer himself. Peter joined me to talk about all of these issues. Take a listen. Peter Meyer, welcome to the Dispatch Podcast, and let's get right into the meat of this indictment. And and maybe as a, <laughs> I should say, let's get a little bit of your background and your uh, uh, sort of expertise on this. You've been on both sides of the intelligence gathering kind of conversation, both as an Army intelligence officer and as an elected official. Uh, when you were in the House, you served on committees dealing with intelligence, classified information, and homeland security. So. When we look at the meat of this indictment of Donald Trump, it presents a lot of evidence that the former president, you know, handled classified information, not only without authorization, but but sort of in this haphazard and and careless way. Again, that's what the government's case is. So I'm I'm curious, sir, first of what your thoughts were uh, about these kind of prosaic details, the the kind of everyday details about how these documents were handled while in Trump's possession. Were you as shocked? as as I was at the way he handled them? I mean, certainly what the indictment lays out does not make any case that these documents were handled with care or or in any type of secure manner. I mean, it, it seems like a pretty shambolic uh, move out process and, and storage process. Uh, and again, I think it's important to remember that most presidents when, well, basically every other president in recent history, when that president has left the Oval Office, you know, they've had some type of a, a library or other facility uh, that the documents have been transferred to. Uh, and in Trump's case, I mean, it just looks like he brought them all down to Mar-a-Lago and just kind of shoved them in whatever closet or or, or spare room, uh, whether I think some of the photos of a, a ballroom stage being used or what appears to have been a bathroom. So it, 
definitely does not lend any confidence that this was done in a organized, uh, secure, or, or kind of otherwise competent manner. Yeah, and maybe we should take a step back on this because I think for for laymen like me, even just for regular Americans, when the process with which you know classified information is shared with elected officials, uh, with with you know government officials, executive branch officials who who need the information, whether it's digital, physical form, it's kind of a mystery to us. I mean, maybe you can speak to your experience about again, those prosaic details, how are classified documents like these supposed to be handled? Is stuff printed off and handed to you in a folder in a skiff and then taken away by that same, uh, uh, I think a lot of people don't even know how this could have happened uh, given the way that uh, we kind of have this idea of how classified information is shared. Yeah, I think it's first and, first and foremost, I mean, you have several different layers of, of what is called classified. Uh, and my favorite my favorite you know, thing to point out is technically unclassified is a classification. So it, <laughs> an unclassified document is classified as unclassified. Uh, but you know, so you go from unclassified and you have kind of that core designation, which can be unclassified, confidential, secret, top secret. Uh, and then you have all of the designations that follow. So it'd be kind of forward slash, uh, no foreign for something that cannot be shared with any foreign uh, country. Uh, you might have five eyes, something that can be circulated within the five eyes, the US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, you might have a designation that specifies human for human intelligence, something gathered from a human source. Uh, and then plenty of other um, you know, kind of cold word special access programs that would signify that a, a smaller number of individuals can have access to that information and they have to be read on to that special access program or SAP. They have to be read on and read off of that. So that's, you know, what we're talking about really incredibly damaging classified information that's almost always going to be top secret. And it's almost always going to be something that's part of a special access program. Uh, now, just from a broad brush standpoint, you know, I've had uh, I had a security clearance my entire time in the military. I, I was in military intelligence. It took me a very long time before I saw something that was classified that was truly a shock to me or something that I didn't know. You know, many times classified information may just have a bit more granularity or a bit more detail. Uh, you know, in the concern of that information getting out is not so much, uh, you know, the generalized contents as, as particular details that may either reveal a capability in terms of our intelligence gathering. So if you remember, there was a photo, it was a satellite photo of an Iranian uh, rocket that had blown up on the launch pad uh, that the Trump administration declassified. Now that showed a degree of, uh, of kind of resolution that came you know, not necessarily as a, as a surprise, because I think the assumption is always that our military and intelligence community has capabilities beyond, you know, what the civilian sector may have. Uh, but it did show resolution that we hadn't seen before. And so that, that's one example of why something may be classified, even if Google Maps may be able to take a similar photo or, or some of the Maxar, some of the civilian satellite uh, companies may be able to show that same area. It could be a question of resolution. Ditto when it comes to something that may otherwise be reported in the New York Times or or in open source media, uh, but knowing how 
or, or the, the small details that um, may not seem like a lot to somebody who doesn't know the situation well. But if our adversaries were to get a hold of that, they could be able to pinpoint, okay, only four or five people knew this you know, seemingly trivial detail, but that helps you know, an adversary understand you know, who might have been the source of that information, a potentially a recruited agent or somebody else. So I, I just wanted to give that example first. When it comes to those types of information and how they're usually stored or how they're transmitted, you know, you have both physical you know, hard copies. And if those are in an unsecure environment, so say a, an intelligence official is briefing members of Congress on Capitol Hill, they will bring that in a locked bag, you know, so from a secure location to another secure location, it will be briefed within a SCIF, a secure compartmented information facility. And those are special rooms that have that are regularly sweeped for any listening devices. No one's allowed to bring cell phones or other uh, electronic devices in there. Uh, and the intent is that that information does not leave that room uh, because you know, anywhere else it could be overseen, overheard, or otherwise left insecure. Uh, for Now, it's a little bit different. For senior uh, or, you know, the, the entirety of, of some buildings could be classified as a skiff. If many parts of the intelligence community, if you have a cell phone, you have to check that at the door. You know, there may be additional redundant you know, places that are, are more secure than even the secure building. Skiffier than the, than the skiff building. <laughs> exactly. But oftentimes within, within the White House um, or within other places where information is shared regularly or discussions are taking place regularly, uh, where, again, it, it may not necessarily be the specific content. It could also be you're discussing strategies that you don't want an adversary to know. And, and I think this is also kind of what gets into some of the differences between the, the Clinton email scandal and, and what we're talking about with Donald Trump. So there's a couple of different layers there, both the need to secure conversations, discussions, things that may result in strategy, you know, things we don't want our adversaries to know about. There is the question of our analysis. So not necessarily kind of the consumers of that information and the, the policymakers. There's the analysis coming from the folks who are producing that information in the intelligence community. And then there's the question of the sources and capabilities, you know, that really is the most important because even though you know, if our adversaries know our strategy, they can preempt us. If our adversaries understand our analysis, they know what we're thinking. But if our adversaries are able to get to what our sources and methods are, you know, then they can more effectively block our understanding and our future capabilities down the line. And, and that's really what's, as you're saying, the most sensitive uh, of that information. Well, what you've described uh, doesn't sound like the situation as we can imagine, and it has been somewhat pieced together by, by the government, uh, and by the department of justice, uh, what happened and what was happening at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, Mar-a-Lago does not have any, uh, you know, has no, there's no proof that it was, it was not a skiff. It was not a secure location. Um, people were coming in and out. Um, I, I, I think that is something that, Maybe intellectually, we can kind of understand, but um, you put a little meat on the bones here of sort of like what actually happens uh, with these documents uh, when they are secured properly and shared with officials. Uh, you mentioned the Hillary Clinton 
uh, uh, issue with her homebrew server. It's not really the only high level elected official classified information issue that we have dealt with in the past few years. We, of course, have uh, former Vice President Mike Pence was discovered to have had some classified documents that he had retained. Uh, he cooperated with the government when that was discovered. Um, he was essentially cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, and and then, uh, of course, President Joe Biden, from his time as vice president, there was an investigation going on right now into retention of some classified documents. So all kind of different situations. Um, maybe first you could talk us through a little bit of what makes all of these situations different. But I'd also be curious if you see any through lines in uh, in all of these very different Situations from Donald Trump's uh, really kind of apparent egregious, uh, you know, handling of classified information uh, all the way all the way down the list. Yeah. And I want to go back to what I said earlier about it took me many, many years to read a classified document that actually came as a surprise You know, where <laughs> that information was where, where you know, it wasn't until I was in a unit that was supporting um, an elite special operations uh, uh, force that. I read something and thought, oh, I I did not know that. I had not read that in the New York Times. That is not something that is something that that most Americans are not familiar with. The vast majority of things that are classified um, are incredibly routine, incredibly quotidian. You know, you and I think this is what I want to get to discussing the differences between, you know, Vice President Pence, um, you know, uh, President Biden's uh, the documents from when he was vice president. And then also, you know, President Trump versus Secretary Clinton. You know, the the first thing that I think is important to differentiate is that with Secretary Clinton, those documents were uh, in a digital form. You know, you mentioned kind of a homebrew server. Right. My understanding is that the majority of the items there that would have been considered classified, you know, had to do with travel schedules, had to do with communications, the secretary's thoughts, you know, things that if it were put down in a memo would probably be considered classified. But uh, more because of the key stakeholder uh, thought process and, and kind of strategy and insight that if that were to get out could be revealed. I think there were a few, I think it was less than 10 documents that were, you know, attachments, you know, that were classified. So, so intelligence products or, or otherwise something that had been uh, put through. And it's important to know, especially when it comes to the State Department, you know, they are technically a member of the intelligence community. There is a uh, intelligence analysis bureau within the State Department, but most of that is not going to be. They're they're not recruiting and running sources, right? They they may glean, and there may be information gleaned in those analytical products coming from CIA, you know, which may get into human sources, or the NSA, which can get into signals intelligence in our capacity, you know. But by and large, I think that was a case of, you know, the. The, the convenience of using kind of off-the-shelf civilian, uh, especially IT technology, which is not in any way, shape, or form rare throughout the government, right? This is, this is a frustration uh, that I think you see, especially within the military and especially within guard and reserve units, where oftentimes otherwise, you know, sensitive information is going to be transmitted on open source or, or kind of civilian technology. Simply because you can't go, well, if you're a reservist, the, the closest skiff could be over 100 miles away, you know, and if you just need to get information on, hey, FYI, you know, you need to be at this place at this time, 
It is not feasible. It is not practical. Ditto if you have an executive official who may be frequently traveling uh, and in the secure networks that they would otherwise be using, you know, may not be accessible or uh, may experience you know, um, IT issues. I mean, government IT can be incredibly competent in some unique circumstances, by and large, massive headache, massive hassle. And so then you have the workarounds, which were not necessarily intended, I think, to make the most charitable case, not intended to, uh, to create a less secure environment. But just because of the reality of a situation, you may need to you know, use something that's good enough, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily meet the standards that are expected. And this has been the case. Um, there was a, a Marine Corps officer in Afghanistan who was knocked down in rank uh, and, and kind of filed a, a whistleblower request because he had information that they wanted to share with a partnered unit uh, about a potential IED location. Now, that could have been something derived from a local source, you know, is otherwise um, you know, something that was would be considered classified to protect that source. Using discretion, and this is that individual obviously got in trouble for this, but the challenge was, okay, we can have this information, but in between having the information and doing something with it, which is usually the point of collecting, you need to figure out, you know, it's not always a, a perfect chain, right? Sure. I was trained as a foreign disclosure officer. You know, there are certain steps and protocols and that is also rarely a perfect circumstance. Um, and so, you know, when, when the guidelines in the guidebook meet reality, uh, it can be very messy. So that's Secretary Clinton. You know, I think when it comes to Vice President Pence uh, and, you know, President Biden, and, and also in the case of, of President Trump, I think one of the things that I'm always a bit skeptical on is... You know, you can discuss in broad brush what the information was, right? So we know that some of the information that they found uh, down in Mar-a-Lago that President Trump had allegedly refused to hand back over, you know, had to deal with nuclear capabilities, war plans, uh, and other things that sound incredibly sensitive and, and may very well have been. But again, it's that question of the granularity and the question of those details, you know, it, you could have a, a document, and, and I think this may have been the case with Vice President Pence. Now you're going back through, and it's a a travel schedule around, you know, a, a senior official's foreign visit that is going to be considered classified, right? Now, if that is is leaked uh, prior to that happening, that can cause severe risks and, and security breaches. But essentially, once that trip occurs, if that document got out in the public, you know. The risk is is probably pretty minimal, maybe after the fact or adversaries understand what type of hotel somebody wants to stay at. But but otherwise, I mean, that is not a massive breach in the way that if it was released prior. So it's hard to know when they say that this classified document was found. Again, was that a menu for a dinner, you know, that had secret no foreign up at the top? You know, or is that something that would continue to pose a threat? Even today, if it was released, again, getting into capabilities that our adversaries don't know that we have or getting into, you know, specific details gleaned from a source where if that was disclosed, that human source could be put at risk. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. 
So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash ev9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. You know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking of the sort of arguments that, you know, partisans sort of bring up whenever somebody on their side is, uh, is, is embroiled in some kind of scandal, which is, and so I've heard it from both sides, right? We have an overclassification problem. We have a problem where, th- you know, there's too much that's considered classified. To your point, information that, for, for lack of a better term, isn't really actionable, but, uh, you know, uh, after maybe after a certain fact or, you know, past a certain point in time by adversaries, by people who would, who would do us harm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that really what we're, uh, what 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 a big problem uh, in terms of classification is? There's overclassification. Uh, is it more subtle than that? Is it is it about trying to declassify things after the fact, uh, information after the fact? Where do you see the problem? The areas for reform. You, I looking specifically at the case of the documents that President Trump had. I have a, a real sense of skepticism at just being told vague parameters after the fact. Like I, I want. And this is also the tension, right? Like I, to, to form a judgment, I want to actually see what those documents are because there were plenty of times where the Department of Justice, uh, we've seen this with uh, books that a, a former official may want to publish where things will be blacked out or otherwise, you know, uh, censored that you look back and say, are, are you kidding me? Like that was worth, you know, kind of this back and forth. So there's certainly an overclassification. Uh, and and this is this gets into a real tension because if you then have a massive overclassification of information, right? In order to get access, you know, you keep putting up bigger and bigger hurdles, but then you inherently need to expand the number of people who have access to that, right? We saw with this national or Air National Guardsman uh, Teixeira in, I believe it was Massachusetts, right? I mean, this was an IT guy, you know, who on the weekends when he was alone, was going through all sorts of documents that didn't pertain to his job or role in any way, shape, or form. And his superiors saw it, counseled him time and time again, didn't stop the kid from doing it. Uh, this was, the, for, just for listeners, this was the the young Air National Guardsman who was sharing information on a Discord, on an online chat with uh, teenagers, essentially, who were, he was not much older than a teenager himself, uh, and of course was, was, was caught and... Um, uh, and, and is facing now the consequences. Go ahead, Peter. 
but but that becomes a little bit of the problem when you're there's such a risk aversion to having even otherwise mundane information shared that everything gets walled off but you need to make those walls so big that you have people within those walls who really shouldn't be there so so i mean it is it's a very difficult place to find the right uh, area to land. But I think there's no question that we have overclassification. And, and you can put that into a couple of different categories. I mean, one, information being classified that's otherwise in the public domain, otherwise widely known. But maybe there's a, a, a fear that if the government were to confirm in their own analysis what you know is already in, being talked about by foreign policy scholars in a university paper, you know that that may lend credibility that I mean, again, you get into these may, may, can, can kind of uh, tendrils going out into oblivion. Um, but then we also have the issue of information being classified uh, in order to avoid scrutiny or public judgment or to hide otherwise embarrassing or, or non-flattering details from the public. And I think that's something that, uh, that worries me very deeply. Um, and I think it's something that also creates an aura and a mystique around classified information that both undermines confidence in our government uh, and gives root and, and, and kind of fertilizes conspiracy theories and other beliefs. I, whenever I talk to somebody who holds conspiratorial beliefs about what they think the government is doing, I strongly encourage them, especially if they're young, you know, join the government, right? See what these institutions are actually like. I would be my, my esteem of our government would go up 10 or 20 fold if they were actually capable of doing one tenth <laughs> of the things that you think from the outside they might be able to do. Uh, but this sort of uh, allure and mystique with so much that is being classified, you know, the, oh, uh, the, this document is, is top secret. Well, yeah, it could be something that if revealed would pose severe threat to our national security and, and in secret poses danger. If it's revealed, you know, top secret, it, it's, it's exceptional grave danger. I think only one out of a thousand top secret documents that I've seen uh, actually surprised me or, or shocked me or, or taught me something that I didn't know. Uh, and even in the case of that um, example I gave earlier, I think that was in the New York times two years later. Uh, it had been disclosed. So not exactly, you know, aliens at uh, Area 51. Well, you know, but but you make the, the point, Peter, that it's hard to judge when we're talking specifically about the documents that Trump had uh, at Mar-a-Lago. It's hard to judge unless we know exactly what is what was in them. Um, and, and again, let's separate out the obstruction charges, which to me, strike me to me as, as more serious. I mean, they, it was essentially asked uh, in good faith to return documents that he was not authorized to have no longer as president and the, the, the and acknowledged the, allegedly acknowledged that he, yeah. exactly. I mean, but uh, do you believe that, um, I guess it's, it's hard to judge these things, but, uh, the, the sort of cavalier way that he's alleged to have been discussing this information in addition with to to you know reports, I mean, we know there was a uh, a Chinese national who was uh, a spy who was at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, the sort of the 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 I keep coming back to the process by which information you can you can argue, you can debate, and I think you make some great points about the level what is in you know behind that wall. But 
you know, the, the, the actual process of, um, of how this information, however correct it is that it's behind the wall, uh, that should be, should be respected, right? I mean, that seems to be what, what is egregious about the underlying, uh, alleged crimes in this indictment that it was the cavalier way in which he was sort of sharing this information or allowing it to be, you know, exposed. I'm curious, uh, sort of, uh, again, what your thoughts are specifically knowing what we know and don't know about what was in these documents. Um, is, is the underlying crime being alleged a real problem for, for the former president? Yeah, I think it's your point on, on the obstruction and on the knowledge, again, going off the indictment and the allegations therein. It was not, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that I had this. Here you go. Right. And I think that's probably the distinction um, between this case and the cases of, of, you know, President Biden when he was vice president and Vice President Pence is in both of those cases. Hey, let's go back through fine tooth comb, double check. Oh, you know, these um, we found these documents. Here you go. As opposed to it seems there was an intent uh, very clearly stated by President Trump to not return these documents, even when after multiple iterations. Uh, so I think that is definitely a distinction. Now, on the security standpoint, you know, there's there's something a bit paradoxical if we're now comparing Secretary Clinton and and the server with President Trump. You know, in some ways, yes, this was a, a semi. It was a private facility, but but not necessarily you know, somebody's residence or where there was a small circle of individuals who may have had access, um, but they were documents that were physical copies. So somebody in order to access those, again, not the individuals where, you know, uh, President Trump may have been uh, bragging or, or sharing with, you know, somebody personally, you know, the, I think the larger concern is, to your point with the Chinese national, other individuals who may have had access to the grounds, had they been able to get into the rooms where the boxes were stored, had they rifled through those boxes and found something interesting, right? That's a lot of steps to take. That's a lot of time to you know, spread papers out. And it does require physical presence. Uh, with Secretary Clinton, you, know, you could have had somebody uh, hacking that remotely, a, a foreign adversary. That's a lot lower threat to them. Uh, and frankly, a lot easier to accomplish. So in some ways, even though there was not that physical copy there may have been, and then again, this is where we get into the shades of gray, right? We can't do an apples to apples on what the underlying material was without having an unbiased, neutral source be able to judge the danger. And this, I mean, is what I think is just so perfect about all of this is, I mean, if you remember, you know, President Biden, when um, you know, right after the Mar-a-Lago raid, talking about, well, you know, nobody who mishandles classified documents like these should ever, uh, I mean, just this kind of high and mighty. It's like, oh, yeah, did, did you check your garage? Did you, did you, <laughs> did you go through that too, right? Um, now, that's not to say that, that all these cases are equal. As we've discussed, there are different elements and there are, there are gradations here. But the, the point inherent in there being gradations is they're all kind of shades of gray. Again, with the exception of Trump refusing after the fact to that kind of obstruction component, in every other case, you're not able to look at it in a black and white way. It, it becomes, well, yeah, but this is, that was worse because of X or, or, you know, this wasn't as bad because of Y. Not able to say 
what my guy did totally fine above board and you clearly violated in all of these different areas. Uh, and so I'm very sympathetic to those who look at this whole scenario and just hang their head uh, at the shambolic, you know, incompetent incompetency that has been revealed across the board. Now, some of that, as I was saying earlier, is because the rule book, if, if it's seeking perfection, you know, it's always going to run up against reality and you're always going to have instances where things are are not as perfect. I was at uh, the uh, Kabul airport during the collapse, during that withdrawal. Uh, you know, that was not a scenario where it's like, hey, we need to go into the skiff and have this conversation, right? When real world events are occurring, you know, you need to be prioritizing actually getting something done and not uh, running into a situation where you're letting, you know, a, a kind of administrative bureaucratic process meant for normal times. You know, you need to know when you throw the rule book out because events are overtaking it. But the reality is that so much of our national security state is not geared towards expediency. It's not geared towards mission fulfillment. You know, it has its own bureaucratic largesse. And that, you know, uh, talking as a, a, a former policymaker, when I was a member of Congress, there were times, um, you know, specifically around the Afghan Adjustment Act, where, you know, I would run up against a wall where somebody would say, and this is just on, on numbers of folks who were evacuated, well, we can't discuss that, you know, um, you know, on this line. We can't get into that on this line. Okay, well, I'm not going to co-sponsor or be involved in this legislation until you are open and honest. In that case, it took me six months to get a gift briefing to answer questions and frankly, just to confirm things that I already knew through individuals outside of government, but folks who were aware of what had occurred, that took me six months and only after the direct intervention of folks in the Oval Office because they wanted to actually see movement on this issue. And so the, there's a, a similar layer here with, you know, and I think an inherent problem uh, getting into policy solutions here, an inherent problem where the executive branch, you know, doesn't have the power to declare war, right? Uh, isn't assigning the budgets, uh, but they are both collecting intelligence. They're analyzing the intelligence. They're making decisions based off of that intelligence. And then they're going to the legislative branch and saying, hey, kind of trust us on this. Or if you want evidence, here's the analysis that we did. And here's why we're, we want you to support our strategy. There's very little ability for checks and balances on the congressional side of the House because Congress is dependent on analytical products and intelligence collection occurring within the executive and then essentially being asked to ratify that ex post. Well, you've just now uh, uh, opened up a whole new sort of discussion. I, I think we may have to revisit it uh, just about those those kind of uh uh, struggles as uh, as maybe you know you were when you were in Congress. I know you talked a lot about this sort of the reassertion of of Congress's uh, ability to uh, you know they are the Article One branch. Um, real quickly, while I have you put on your political hat a little bit here, I mean you're, you you uh, when you were in Congress always talked a lot uh, about the the sort of necessary uh, uh, reforms 
there's not a lot of political constituency for them. And, and one of the fears I have is that, um, you know, intelligence and classification, it's just all partisan now anyway. And it's all sort of seen through the realm of, well, what about uh, why wasn't Hillary Clinton indicted or what about Trump and all these things? I mean, is there a political uh, or maybe talk about the political solution for solving some of these problems? Because Americans just, again, don't quite, I think, understand everything that we've been talking about, um, and, and maybe they shouldn't, uh, but that's going to be the source of political solutions. Yeah, I know, especially after the, the Teixeira discord leak, uh, there was a conversation in, in which, you know, followed after, you know, not the, the initial Mar-a-Lago raid uh, or kind of search, and then the disclosures that both Biden as vice president and, and vice president Pence had classified documents. Uh, and so I believe that senators Warren uh, sorry, Mark Warren. Um, sorry, excuse me, Senator Mark War- Warner, Warner and, Warner, and yes. Senator Todd Young. Um, I, I don't believe Elizabeth Warren has uh, has gotten. <laughs> it doesn't um, seem like it's in her. Yeah, you know, like, uh, but obviously Senator Warner on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Young. Uh, I'm not sure if he's on the Intelligence Committee, but he's a military veteran, very sharp. Uh, I think they had a, there. There's some bipartisan efforts to try to say, okay, you know, how do we deal with with all of these issues we're talking about? Right. I mean, one you know, how the perfect process butts up against operational realities, and then also the the, the overclassification, the challenges of declassification, uh, and finding that happy medium, especially in an era where so many more things are shifting online, that if you're just doing everything, when I say online, I mean, they, we have our classified intelligence networks, you know, a variety of those, uh, you know, how do you make sure that, that you are, uh, you know, if, if everything is taking place inside of Fort Knox, you got a lot of people coming into Fort Knox, right? You need right. To, to appropriately scale that depending. Uh, and so I, I'm confident that you know, there will be some forward motion there. Again, it's not an issue that's going to uh, rise to the top that folks are going to campaign on, you know, but it's just good hygiene. It's good governance. It's something that is important you know, so that we both avoid the mistakes and the errors that we've seen that we've discussed here. Uh, but also, you know, we need to build confidence in our allies, you know, that we can protect the information they're sharing with us. And we need to be able to build confidence with those who want to give us information, that the information they give us at great peril to themselves, oftentimes, you know, will be safeguarded and will be protected. This was one of the massive downsides of the, uh, the Bradley Manning leaks back in 2010. <laughs> those leaks and this was almost everything there was was secret or confidential, the vast majority of which were you know, operational reports that um, you know, didn't necessarily get into risking you know, sources or methods or anything else, uh, though there were some issues with some of the State Department cables that had been released and, and kind of you know, confidential information in terms of private discussions, not necessarily recruited agents, but things that, again, uh, could have put lives at risk for somebody just being frank and candid with one of our diplomatic officials, you know, but the signal that sent was, you know, the U.S. can't safeguard its information. Uh, so don't trust them with telling any secrets, right? If, if you'd have a friend who gets, whenever they get drunk, they just blab about whatever you told them in confidence, guess what you're not going to do? Tell them anything in confidence, right? And, and so we as a nation need to work to rebuild some of that trust with those who either work alongside us or we may ask to work for us uh, because what may just be political fodder to one person could be a question of life or death 
to another. Well, Peter, I, I have to ask you, you're very animated about these issues, about uh, about this particular policy. Um, you served one term in Congress. You uh, uh, you lost uh, renomination. Uh, uh, and uh, and of course, that seat ended up going to uh, uh, the Democratic uh, uh, challenger, uh, Democratic candidate. Do you have any interest in getting back into elected politics? Um, you told uh, the dispatch just a few months ago that um, yeah, you're not discounting any possibility of running. There's an open Senate seat in Michigan. Uh, there's a governor's race in 2026. I mean, w- what is your interest in particular in staying a part of this conversation uh, and running again for office yourself? No, listen, I think it's important that we have serious and sober conversations, right? Details matter. The, uh, they may not matter to a reflexive partisan you know, who just wants to weaponize whatever you know, thing comes across the transom and, and kind of fit it into a, a or shape it as a partisan weapon. Uh, but at the end of the day, I care about our institutions. I care about this country and I care about making sure that we have serious and sober individuals who are able to set aside what may be you resist the temptation of that political weaponization, that partisan weaponization of a moment, right? Those are the conversations that we need to be having around issues of document classification rather than just reflexive attack or reflexive defense. So I both care about that uh, and making sure that there are sober voices having these discussions. So uh, I have nothing to announce here and I will refer you to my prior statement. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much, Peter, for joining me on the Dispatch Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for your time. And uh, let's continue this conversation because you've opened up a lot of uh, a lot more conversations about uh, about intelligence classification uh, and, and what the policy should be uh, in the future. Thank you. I look forward to it. Take care. Thanks. 